Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad Baruch Shem Kehud Malkuto Le'olam Va'ed Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Amen. Good morning, Mishpacha. Welcome to the Daily Audio Torah. I'm Laura Densmore, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining in with me today. Today is Sunday, July 10th. It is prophesied in the book of Amos that in the last days there would be a famine in the land. Not a famine for food, but a famine for the word of God, as it is written in Amos 8, 11 and 12. Behold, the days come, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they shall wander from sea to sea, and from the north even to the east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, and shall not find it. Even in the days of Joseph there were seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. He had stored up grain for the seven years of famine. The Daily Audio Torah is your storehouse where you can get grain. It is twenty minutes every day of pure scripture flowing out, living manna to feed your spirit. Are you being blessed by this ministry? Please consider supporting Daily Audio Torah. You can make a one-time or a recurring donation by going to dailyaudiotorah.com and then click on the Give pick on the navigation menu. You can then make a secure online donation there. Thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your support. Now let's continue our journey through the entire Bible in one year. This week, we are reading from the New Living Translation for the Hebrew Scriptures and for the Brit Hadashah. Today we begin a new Torah portion, Balak. Numbers 22, 1-20 Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River, across from Jericho. Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything the Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, This mob will devour everything in sight, like an ox devours grass in the field. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor, near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me, because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless, and curses fall on people that you curse. Balak's messengers, who were elders of Moab and Midian, set out with money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak's message to him. Stay here overnight, Balaam said. 
In the morning I will tell you whatever the Lord directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. That night God came to Balaam and asked him, Who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, Do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. The next morning Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, Go on home. The Lord will not let me go with you. So the Moabite officials returned to King Balak and reported, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak tried again. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, Even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of the Lord my God. But stay here one more night, and I will see if the Lord has anything else to say to me. That night God came to Balaam and told him, Since these men have come for you, get up and go with them, but do only what I tell you to do. First Chronicles 9, 1-10-14 So all Israel was listed in the genealogical records in the book of the kings of Israel. The people of Judah were exiled to Babylon because they were unfaithful to the Lord. The first of the exiles to return to their property in their former towns were priests, Levites, temple servants, and other Israelites. Some of the people from the tribes of Judah, Benjamin, Ephraim, and Manasseh, came and settled in Jerusalem. One family that returned was that of Uthai, son of Amihud, son of Omri, son of Imri, son of Bani, a descendant of Perez, son of Judah. Others returned from the Shilonite clan, including Asiah, the oldest, and his sons. From the Zerahite clan, Jewel returned with his relatives. In all, 690 families from the tribe of Judah returned. From the tribe of Benjamin came Salu, son of Meshulam, son of Hodaviah, son of Hasanua, Ibniah, son of Jeroham, Elah, son of Uzai, son of Mikri, and Meshulam, son of Shephatiah, son of Reul, son of Ibnijah. These men were all leaders of clans, and they were listed in their genealogical records. In all, 956 families from the tribe of Benjamin returned. Among the priests who returned were Jediah, Jehoiarib, Jachin, Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Meshulam, son of Zadok, son of Mariath, son of Ahitub. Azariah was the chief officer of the house of God. Other returning priests were Adiah, son of Jeroham, son of Pashur, son of Malkijah, and Masai, son of Adiel, son of Jezreah, son of Meshulam, son of Meshulameth, son of Emer. In all, 1,760 priests returned. They were heads of clans and very able men. They were responsible for ministering at the house of God.
The Levites who returned were Shemaiah, son of Hashub, son of Azrikam, son of Hashabiah, a descendant of Merari, Bakbakar, Harish, Galal, Madaniah, son of Micah, a son of Zikri, son of Asaph, Obadiah, son of Shemaiah, son of Galal, son of Jehudim, and Berechiah, son of Asa, son of Elkanah, who lived in the area of Nedephah. The gatekeepers who returned were Shalom, Akub, Talman, Ahiman, and their relatives. Shalom was the chief gatekeeper. Prior to this time, they were responsible for the king's gate on the east side. These men served as gatekeepers for the camps of the Levites. Shalom was the son of Kor, a descendant of Abiasaph from the clan of Korah. He and his relatives, the Korahites, were responsible for guarding the entrance to the sanctuary, just as their ancestors had guarded the tabernacle in the camp of the Lord. Phinehas, son of Eleazar, had been in charge of the gatekeepers in earlier times, and the Lord had been with him. And later, Zechariah, son of Meshelemiah, was responsible for guarding the entrance to the tabernacle. In all, there were 212 gatekeepers in those days, and they were listed according to the genealogies in their villages. David and Samuel the seer had appointed their ancestors because they were reliable men. These gatekeepers and their descendants, by their divisions, were responsible for guarding the entrance to the house of the Lord when that house was a tent. The gatekeepers were stationed on all four sides, east, west, north, and south. Their relatives in the villages came regularly to share their duties for seven-day periods. The four chief gatekeepers, all Levites, were trusted officials, for they were responsible for the rooms and treasuries at the house of God. They would spend the night around the house of God, since it was their duty to guard it and to open the gates every morning. Some of the gatekeepers were assigned to care for the various articles used in worship. They checked them in and out to avoid any loss. Others were responsible for the furnishings, the items in the sanctuary, and the supplies, such as choice flour, wine, olive oil, frankincense, and spices. But it was the priests who blended the spices. Mattatiah, a Levite, and the oldest son of Shalom, the Korahite, was entrusted with baking the bread used in the offerings. And some members of the clan of Kohath were in charge of preparing the bread to be set on the table each Sabbath day. The musicians, all prominent Levites, lived at the temple. They were exempt from other responsibilities since they were on duty at all hours. All these men lived in Jerusalem. They were the heads of Levite families and were listed as prominent leaders in their genealogical records. Jeel, the father of Gibeon, lived in the town of Gibeon. His wife's name was Makkah, and his oldest son was named Abdon. Jeel's other sons were Zur, Kish, Baal, Ner, Nadab, Gedor, Ahio, Zechariah, and Mikloth. Mikloth was the father of Shimeon. All these families lived near each other in Jerusalem. Ner was the father of Kish. Kish was the father of Saul. Saul was the father of Jonathan, Malkishua, Abinadab, and Eshbaal. Jonathan was the father of Meribbaal. Meribbaal was the father of Micah. The sons of Micah were Python, Melech, Tariah, and Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Jada, 
Jada was the father of Elameth, Asmaveth, and Zimri. Zimri was the father of Moza. Moza was the father of Benia. Benia's son was Raphiah. Raphiah's son was Elisa. Elisa's son was Azel. Azel had six sons whose names were Azrikam, Bokaru, Ishmael, Shariah, Obadiah, and Hanan. These were the sons of Azel. Now the Philistines attacked Israel, and the men of Israel fled before them. Many were slaughtered on the slopes of Mount Gilboa. The Philistines closed in on Saul and his sons, and they killed three of his sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. The fighting grew very fierce around Saul, and the Philistine archers caught up with him and wounded him. Saul groaned to his armor-bearer, Take your sword and kill me before these pagan Philistines come to taunt and torture me. But his armor-bearer was afraid, and would not do it. So Saul took his own sword and fell on it. When his armor-bearer realized that Saul was dead, he fell on his own sword and died. So Saul and his three sons died there together, bringing his dynasty to an end. When all the Israelites in the Jezreel Valley saw that their army had fled, and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their towns and fled. So the Philistines moved in and occupied their towns. The next day, when the Philistines went out to strip the dead, they found the bodies of Saul and his sons on Mount Gilboa. So they stripped off Saul's armor and cut off his head. Then they proclaimed the good news of Saul's death before their idols and to the people throughout the land of Philistia. They placed his armor in the temple of their gods, and they fastened his head to the temple of Dagon. But when everyone in Jabesh-Gilead heard about everything the Philistines had done to Saul, all their mighty warriors brought the bodies of Saul and his sons back to Jabesh. Then they buried their bones beneath the great tree at Jabesh, and they fasted for seven days. So Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He failed to obey the Lord's command, and he even consulted a medium instead of asking the Lord for guidance. So the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom over to his, to David, son of Jesse. Acts 27, 21-44 No one had eaten for a long time. Finally, Paul called the crew together and said, Men, you should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God. It will be just as he said, but we will be shipwrecked on an island. About midnight on the fourteenth night of the storm, as we were being driven across the sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. They dropped a weighted line and found that the water was a hundred and twenty feet deep. But a little later they measured again and found it was only ninety feet deep. At this rate they were afraid we would soon be driven against the rocks along the shore, so they threw out four anchors from the back of the ship and prayed for daylight. Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. 
But Paul said to the commanding officer and the soldiers, You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and let it drift away. Just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You have been so worried that you haven't touched food for two weeks, he said. Please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair of your heads will perish. Then he took some bread, gave thanks to God before them all, and broke off a piece and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat, all 276 of us who were on board. After eating, the crew lightened the ship further by throwing the cargo of wheat overboard. When morning dawned, they didn't recognize the coastline, but they saw a bay with a beach and wondered if they could get to shore by running the ship aground. So they cut off the anchors and left them in the sea. Then they lowered the rudders, raised the foresail, and headed toward the shore. But they hit a shoal and ran the ship aground too soon. The bow of the ship stuck fast while the stern was repeatedly smashed by the force of the waves and began to break apart. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. But the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Then he ordered all who would swim to jump overboard first and make for land. The others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. So everyone escaped safely to shore. Psalm 8, 1-9 O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them? human beings, that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God, and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Proverbs 18.23-24 The poor plead for mercy, the rich answer with insults. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. I want to speak to you today from our reading from Acts chapter 27. And in this portion of that chapter, we see that Paul and some prisoners that have been on a sailing ship um, are in a lot of trouble. There's a big storm that has come. The people are very worried. They haven't eaten in two weeks. And Paul is operating in the supernatural. He gives them a word of knowledge. And he tells them, You should have listened to me in the first place and not left Crete. You would have avoided all this damage and loss, but take courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. For last night, an angel of the Lord, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me, and he said, Don't be afraid, Paul, for you will surely stand trial before Caesar. 
What's more, God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So take courage, for I believe God it will be just as he said. But we will be shipwrecked on an island. And that's the word of knowledge that the Lord showed him through this angel. And so they never should have left Crete. Now they're in the midst of a big storm and they're way off course. And in the end, as they approach a shoreline, they see um, a bay with a beach and the ship runs aground and those that can swim swam ashore. And the rest that couldn't swim grabbed a hold of a plank or something to hold on to and floated towards the shore. So here's the application. Sometimes we make decisions that are out of the will of God. And then we end up in a big mess. We end up in a storm like Paul and his cohorts. And yet God in his goodness spared their lives and allowed them to make it to an island. And so when we are in the midst of some kind of a storm of life, we may make a bad decision. And yet God in his goodness, his kindness, his mercy, he spares us and he makes a way for us to get through that storm. And so I don't know what storm you might be going through right now. It can be a health issue. It could be unemployment. It could be a housing issue, financial reversals, cost of living, high inflation, high cost of gas and groceries. It's tough to make ends meet. It could be a marriage that's rocky, the threat of divorce, an estrangement in a relationship, whatever that storm could be, God is with you in it and through it. And the main thing is to look up to God, to the Lord, and to trust Him in the storm, and He will make a way for you through that storm. The other thing is, a lot of us are weary We've been going through a trial for a very, very long time. This global, quote, pandemic, unquote, has lasted two years. People have been in lockdown and in quarantine and wearing masks, and some people have been going and getting the jab. And it has taken a huge toll. Many people have died. Others have gotten sick and recovered. But many people's jobs have been lost, livelihoods have been lost, businesses have shut down. Um, it, it has affected families and relationships. Um, families are torn apart. Those that are in support of the jab, those are against the jab. Many churches have shut down. Slowly things are beginning to reopen, but it'll never be the same. We'll never go back to normal. And this has been a very long trial. Very, very long trial. I have never lived and seen anything like this in my entire life. And I've lived a long time. And so, be encouraged. 
Build up your spirit. Put your eyes on Yeshua. I think of the old hymn and the words of that hymn. They are more true today than they ever were. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so when things around you are just going crazy and it's discouraging and disheartening, turn your eyes upon Yeshua and look full in his wonderful face. Have a blessed day, and we'll see you tomorrow. Shalom.
the Aaronic Blessing from Numbers chapter 6, 24-26. Adonai bless you and keep you. Adonai make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Adonai lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.